Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, the podcast where we do things excellently. We are talking about War and Peace, Book 14, Chapter 3. Ooh, nine comments today. That's a lot of comments. Um, okay. Um, how do you think these characters became members of a guerrilla group? Did they get discharged from the army or simply run away? I was wondering about the line... And there was Vasilia, the wife of a village elder who slew hundreds of French. Is that a real historical figure? Is the question that I threw out to the read, uh, well, to you guys. And Kara Kikar says, it appears she was a real person. With a Wikipedia link here to Vasilia Kozhina. Uh, was a Russian peasant. She was the wife of Gorshka, a Storosta elder um, during the French invasion of Russia she organized in Sikhovsky a partisan detachment of teenagers and women all of whom were armed with scythes, pitchforks, axes, bear spears and so on during the retreat of Napoleon's troops from Moscow her guerrillas attacked French troops captured prisoners and handed them to Russian units so she was a total badass that's pretty cool Ah, rose-tinted worldview says the guerrilla groups chasing the French out of Russia is my favourite war section of War and Peace. It really underlines Tolstoy's point that a million people's actions drive all historical events rather than individual great men determining what happens. The Russian guerrillas are relatively unorganised, emerged spontaneously of murky origins, but drive the movement of the millions, thousands, with the French army across a huge distance. The guerrillas' movements seem to resemble more the inexorable push of the tides rather than the concentrated spray of a super soaker, if we're keeping the water-based analogies. Brett Peterson says, Glad to see Dolokhov's name again. Hopefully we'll get to see him die soon. After what he did to Nikolai Rostov, I will never forgive him. After ripping him off, I like Dolokhov, even though he's a total bastard. He's a great character. Um, FDLP says Dolokhov would manage to get involved in guerrilla tactics. Kind of suits him, doesn't it? He was always a bit of a swashbuckler. So, um, yeah, it suits him. Alright, anyway, let's read another chapter. Book 14, chapter 4. It was a warm, rainy autumn day. The sky and the horizon were both... The colour of muddy water. At times a sort of mist descended and then suddenly heavy slanting rain came down. Denisov in a felt cloak and a sheepskin cap from which the rain ran down was riding a thin thoroughbred horse with sunken sides. Like his horse which turned its head and laid its ears back he shrank from the driving rain and gazed anxiously before him. His thin face with its short thick Blackbeard looked angry. Besides, Denisov rode an Esol, a captain of Cossacks. Denisov's fellow worker, also in a felt cloak and sheepskin cap, and riding a large, sleek Don horse. Esol Lovaisky III was a tall man, as straight as an arrow, pale-faced, fair hair, with narrow, light eyes, and with self, with calm, self-satisfied. Sorry, 
and with calm self-satisfaction in his face and bearing. Though it was impossible to say in what the peculiarity of the horse and rider lay, yet at first glanced at the Assol and Denisov one saw that the latter was wet and uncomfortable and was a man mounted on a horse while looking at the Assol one saw that he was as comfortable and as much at ease as always and that he was not a man who had mounted a horse but a man who was one with his horse a being consequently possessed of twofold strength a little ahead of them walked a peasant guide wet to the skin and wearing a grey peasant coat and a white knitted cap A little behind them, on a poor, small, lean Kyrgyz mount with an enormous tail and mane and a bleeding mouth, rode a young officer in a blue French overcoat. Beside him rode a hussar with a boy in a tattered French uniform and a blue cap behind him on the crupper of his horse. The boy held on to the hussar with cold red hands and raising his eyebrows gazed about him with surprise. This was the French drummer boy captured that morning. Behind them, along the narrow, sodden, cut-up forest road came hussars in threes and fours, and then Cossacks, some in felt cloaks, some in French greatcoats, and some with horse cloths over their heads. The horses being drenched by the rain all looked black, whether chestnut or bay. Their necks, with their wet, close-clinging manes, looked strangely thin. Steam rose from them. Clothes, saddles, reins were all wet, slippery and sodden like the ground and the fallen leaves that strewed the road. The men sat huddled up trying not to stir, so as to warm the water that had trickled to their bodies and not admit the fresh cold water that was leaking in under their seats, their knees and at the back of their necks. In the midst of the outspread line of Cossacks, two wagons drawn by French horses and by saddled Cossack horses that had been hitched on in front, rumbled over the tree stumps and branches and splashed through the water that lay in the ruts. Denisov's horses swerved aside to avoid a pool in the track and bumped his rider's knee against a tree. Oh, the devil, exclaimed Denisov angrily, and showing his teeth he struck his horse three times with his whip splashing himself and his comrades with mud. Denisov was out of sorts both because of the rain and also from hunger. None of them had eaten anything since morning, and yet more because he still had no news from Dolokhov, and the man sent to capture a tongue had not returned. There will hardly be another such chance to fall on a transport as today. It's too risky to attack them by oneself, and if we put it off till another day, one of the big guerrilla detachments will snatch the prey from under our noses, thought Denisov, continually peering forward, hoping to see a messenger from Dolokhov. On coming to a path in the forest along which he could see far to the right, Denisov stopped. There's something coming, said he. The assault looked in the direction Denisov indicated. There are two, an officer and a Cossack, but it is not presupposable that it is the lieutenant colonel himself said the assault, who was fond of using words the Cossacks did not know. The approaching riders, having descended a decline, were no longer visible, but they reappeared a few minutes later. In front, at a weary gallop and using his leather whip, rode an officer, dishevelled and drenched, whose trousers had worked up to above his knees. Behind him, standing in the stirrups, trotted a Cossack, 
The officer, a very young lad with a broad rosy face and keen merry eyes, galloped up to Denisov and handed him a sodden envelope. From the general, said the officer, please excuse it not being quite dry. Denisov, frowning, took the envelope and opened it. There, they kept telling us, it's dangerous, it's dangerous, said the officer, addressing the Esol, while Denisov was reading the dispatch. But Komarov and I, he pointed to the Cossack, were prepared. We have each of us two pistols, but what's this, he asked, noticing the French drummer boy. A prisoner? You've already been in action. May I speak to him? Wostov Petya, exclaimed Denisov, having run through the dispatch. Why didn't you say who you were? And turning with a smile, he held out his hand to the lad. The officer was Petya Rostov. And all the way Petya had been preparing himself to behave with Denisov as befitted a grown-up man and an officer without hinting at their previous acquaintance, but as soon as Denisov smiled at him, Petya brightened up, blushed with pleasure, forgot the official manner he had been rehearsing and began telling him how he had already been in a battle near Vyazma and how a certain hussar had distinguished himself there. Well, I'm glad to see you, Denisov interrupted him, and his face again assumed its anxious expression. Michael Fierklitsch, said he to the assault, this is again from that German, you know. He, he indicated Petya, is serving under him. And Denisov told the assault that the dispatch just delivered was a repetition of the German general's demand that he should join forces with him for an attack on the transport. If we don't take it tomorrow, he'll snatch it from under our noses, he added. While Denisov was talking to the assault Petya, abashed by Denisov's cold tone and supposing that it was due to the condition of his trousers, furtively tried to pull them down under his greatcoat so that no one should notice it, while maintaining as martial an air as possible. Will there be any orders, Your Honour? he asked Denisov, holding his hand at the salute and resuming the game of adjutant and general for which he had prepared himself, or shall I remain with Your Honour? Orders? Denisov repeated thoughtfully. But can you stay till tomorrow? Oh, please, may I stay with you? cried Petya. But just what did the general tell you? To return at once? asked Denisov. Petya blushed. He gave me no instructions. I think I could, he returned inquiringly. Well, all right, said Denisov. And turning to his men, he directed a party to go on to the halting place arranged near the watchman's hut in the forest and told the officer on the Kyrgyz horse, who performed the duties of an adjutant, to go and find out where Dolokhov was and whether he would come that evening. Denisov himself intended going with the assault and Petya to the edge of the forest where it reached out to Shamshevo to have a look at the part of the French bivouac they were to attack next day. Well, old fellow, said he to the peasant guide, lead us to Shamshevo. Denisov, Petya and the assault, accompanied by some Cossacks and the hussar who had the prisoner, rode to the left across a ravine to the edge of the forest. Alrighty, there we go. Petya. Young Petya. Now is a well, seasoned soldier. I don't know about seasoned, but he's a soldier who's seen action. But still acts kind of coy and like childish, like a little brother, you know? He acts like a little brother. He blushes when the sort of more superior Denisov you know, recognizes him. So uh, you just can't help see him as the, the little boy. He's the youngest of the family. And even though he's a man now out fighting a battle, you still see him that way. All right. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.